Welcome to the Food Foundation podcast, the award-winning voice of the charity which campaigns for better access to healthy food for everyone in the UK. I'm Gemma Ogston, the author of The Healing Cookbook and a mum of two. And this week we're looking at the Food Foundation's second early years report about the barriers to breastfeeding. That's another reason why I felt like a bit of a failure that I couldn't do it. So I was like, why is everyone else managing to do it and I can't? Breastfeeding has been shown to have many benefits, including reducing the risk of childhood overweight and obesity, but the UK has some of the lowest rates of exclusive breastfeeding in the world. Hannah Brinston is Head of Policy and Advocacy at the Food Foundation, and she explains what the report set out to do. A survey that we did with YouGov showed that 44% of women who exclusively breastfed would have liked to do so for longer. And it raised a question about what are those barriers? And that's what we look at in this report. The report is an in-depth analysis revealing a flawed system in which parents face multiple barriers to providing their babies with the basic nutrients needed for healthy development by the age of two. 42% of those surveyed wanted more support from healthcare professionals. 28% wanted higher maternity pay or more financial support. And 22% asked for longer maternity leave. And 20% said that they wanted more places to feed a baby in public. The statistics are shocking and reveal a country that just doesn't support infant health. And it doesn't stop there. Just 1% of women are exclusively breastfeeding for six months, which is what the recommendations are from both our government and also from the World Health Organization. And this is a concern because we know there are a number of health benefits from breastfeeding, including better immunity and reducing the risk of childhood obesity. By the first year of school, One in five children have overweight or obesity and one in four five-year-olds have dental decay. And this is worse in the most deprived groups. The picture that emerges from this report is of a nation divided into those that have access to enough information about the benefits of breastfeeding and those who don't. TJ is one of the Food Foundation adult ambassadors and a single mum of 18-month-old Cody. I was just constantly just breastfeeding all the time and was round the clock every two hours, sometimes one hour, and it was all throughout the night as well. And for lack of a better word, I felt like a bit of a cow. Because of that, I was only sleeping for about an hour at a time, sometimes less. And I did actually start to go a bit nuts, to be honest. And I was just having breakdowns after breakdowns after breakdowns. I wanted to purely breastfeed all the way up until he was one. I I wanted that goal, but... um, I did switch to combi feeding um, around when he was seven or eight weeks old just for the night feeds so that um, he'd sleep a bit better in the night. And it did actually work. um, He'd have a bottle at night and he'd sleep for five, six hours at a time and I felt a bit of relief then. The report found that 44% of women who exclusively breastfed said that they would have liked to have done so for longer. I I felt quite saddened about having to switch to just formula feeding because I felt like I had failed. Um, I felt like I made mistakes and I should have um, reached out for more support if there was some available. I wasn't I wasn't even looking into it um, because I didn't realise that there was breastfeeding support available. So, yeah, I I combi-fed up until Cody was about five months old. And then that's when I um, just stopped producing milk and Cody wasn't interested anymore. He didn't want them. He um, weaned him quite early as well because he was starting to want more foods and stuff rather than just formula. And 
I do wish looking back on it now that I could have found a better way to do it. Um, cause I would have loved to have just carried on breastfeeding until, until he was ready to give it up. The messaging in the media about breastfeeding just doesn't help. Dana Brackley from Bremner & Co, a consultancy which works with the government to improve food policy and practice, recently conducted its own deep dive into how society presents breastfeeding. When we looked at our media analysis for breastfeeding, what we found quite remarkable is that only 7% of the media analysis painted a positive picture of breastfeeding. So a lot of it was sensationalised, a lot of it was negative. There was a big focus on headlines like ruined boobs and no sex drive and milk shoots out like a water pistol. So it gave this kind of depiction of something that's very difficult. But on the flip side of that, there was also kind of a glorification of it, um, particularly with a focus on celebrities. So you had celebrity mothers walking down runways while breastfeeding their children, some things that would potentially be felt quite unachievable for people. So it was a real mixture. Um, but what it also did was highlight a lot of times where women have experienced issues with breastfeeding in public. So these may have been isolated instances, but because of the coverage in press, it makes it seem like it's a ubiquitous problem, which obviously would make women feel more concerned or about the safety and security of breastfeeding in public. The other thing that was really notable was there was quite a lot of um, what the Sun referred to as mum police, or we referred to as mum-on-mum criticism, with women actually criticising other mothers for either using formula or breastfeeding um, in public or giving up breastfeeding too early. Um, so it wasn't a very supportive or safe environment in the media. And obviously that's really important because that influences the public agenda and it influences the political agenda as well. It's a crazy mixed up message about something that's as natural as it gets. And in a cost of living crisis, many families facing food insecurity could be providing their babies with the best start to life for free. Sophie Riley is a 25-year-old midwife at Plymouth University Hospital Trust. Her training, like every midwife's advocates for breastfeeding, but she sees women every day who give birth expecting to bottle feed because breastfeeding is just not part of the conversation in their world. People from um, a more like um, deprived background normally have less support um, from friends and family. A lot of people can't afford to pay for like NCT classes or breastfeeding classes um, like in pregnancy and post-pregnancy. Um, and I think obviously that kind of puts them into disadvantage um, to help them breastfeed. We do need that support around us, whether that's from partners, friends, family, um, to help us kind of just get that breastfeeding off to a really good start. The conversations that midwives have with new mums are often about the reality of their lives. So I had a woman yesterday um, and I was speaking to her about breastfeeding and bottle feeding as she was unsure how she wanted to feed her baby. Um, and I kind of went through all the benefits of breastfeeding and bottle feeding. Um, however, she found that bottle feeding would be better for her only because she was thinking about going back to work in about six months time, um, which shouldn't be a kind of a barrier for her to breastfeed. Um, so I kind of went through, um, stuff with her about kind of, uh, when she goes home, how she can get support, but also when she goes back to work, the employers have to let them have time. If they want to express, they need to have that time to express, which was, um, really nice for her to hear, I think, because then she decided that actually she wanted to give breastfeeding a go, which was really nice. 
The experiences of TJ and the new mums on Sophie's ward reflect the findings of the report. Almost half of the women surveyed who did breastfeed said that more support from healthcare professionals, family and friends would have helped them to breastfeed for longer. Vicky Sipson is the director of First Steps Nutrition Trust and says that they're making really important decisions about how to feed their babies in a formula feeding culture, which is hitting the poorest families hardest. Most mums set out and start to breastfeed, but unfortunately, for a lot of reasons, um, they don't succeed in their breastfeeding goals. And of course, there are some that don't want to, and that's fine too. But then we have a problem because until one year of age, it's really, really important that babies who are not breastfed or who only are partially breastfed um, are given infant formula. That infant formula is really, really important to um, give them the nutrition that they need to grow and develop. And the, the big problem that we find ourselves in now is that infant formula has become more and more expensive. And for a a product that's essential for most babies in the UK, that's deeply problematic, especially given the economic crisis that we're in, the cost of living crisis, because that's a, a, a product that these families with young babies can't do without. Of those mothers who formula fed, one in four said that they struggled to afford formula. Vicky Sipson says there's absolutely no reason why one infant formula should be any more expensive than the next. First infant formula is very tightly regulated. So um, because little babies are incredibly vulnerable and they have specific nutrition needs to grow and develop healthily, this product it gives them you know vast amount of their nutrition if they're not breastfed. And there's basically a very set, rigid nutrition composition and all the products have to meet that nutrition composition. So they have to provide um, a set amount of energy, protein, micronutrients, etc. So all the products on the supermarket shelves, and there's a, there's a really large variety of products, albeit from a, actually quite a small number of suppliers. So they're sort of playing a game by giving you one product of one name and another product of, an, of another name produced by the same company and they all meet the same nutrition composition standards they have to by law so the price differential between those products doesn't mean anything it doesn't translate into health and nutrition benefits and what they'll do also is they'll add what are called non-mandatory ingredients and they want you to think or they want you to believe that those non-mandatory ingredients um will will be beneficial to your baby but there's no evidence vicky says it's all about the marketing we're all you know fallible we're all um we all sort of respond to marketing um in the same way whether we're talking about formula or um trainers or washing liquid and you have a perception that the more expensive means the better and that's just not the case for formula and it works even in, even more than say you're talking about these other mundane products like washing liquid because of course you're going to want the best for your babies and they, they they sort of prey on that the food foundation is calling for protections against these inappropriate marketing of breast milk substitutes it's also working with supermarkets to introduce own brand first infant formulas and campaigning to insulate prices on first infant formulas from the worst of food price inflation so that every baby can get access to the nutrition it needs Vicky Sipson explains that it's part of a campaign which is gathering momentum. The all-party parliamentary group on infant feeding that is chaired by Alison Thewlis, um, that group has been calling for a price cap on infant formula since, since 2018, which is when, um, under First Steps Nutrition Trust, our organisation's lead, we, we published the first inquiry into infant formula prices. 
Um, and so that's, that's been a long standing ask because, um, the reality is that infant formula prices were unjustifiably high even before the cost of living crisis. And yet we've seen them go up even more. Um, so the, the solutions or, or what, um, we're calling for, and I mean, it's great to see the Food Foundation echoing those calls too, is for government intervention um, to to basically bring down the cost of infant formula across the board. Um, because there was there was an investigation that was published at the end of last year, it's using um, our cost data from First Steps that has highlighted company profiteering. Um, it's basically very, very clear now from that report and the, the evidence that was used, um, that the, the prices are unjustifiably high and they need to come down. And the good, I mean, maybe a good thing here is that there is precedent. So in Greece, they have introduced price controls in the form of placing a cap on the profit that infant formula companies um, can make and that's seven percent and that's really interesting because what we know is typical profit margins for formula companies are between 20 and 30 percent so that just goes to show what um you know the, the level that that needs to be put in place to bring those products down um so that parents can afford them the all-party group led by Scottish National Party MP Alison Thewlis reflects once again the best practice led by Scotland Dana Brackley says that the Scottish government already has a national breastfeeding strategy. They put breastfeeding into their programme for government, which is similar to kind of in the UK, our kind of main strategies. They've got infant feeding leads. They've got much, much better data collection than we do. So we don't collect enough data on breastfeeding. And in Scotland, they collect data of multiple data points. And actually, the investment that they put both from a political will and these resources that they have in place, has improved breastfeeding rates. But more importantly, it's improved the difference with inequality because mothers in deprived areas are 40% less likely to initiate breastfeeding. And Scotland is really a leading example of of an area that's kind of taken it and put it into into the centre of their policy making, and they have really, really strong MPs and support behind that. And that's also the case with infant food insecurity. So mothers who can't afford formula milk and are needing to get that from a food bank or from somewhere else. So I think Scotland is somewhere that we could point to as leading the way in kind of breastfeeding policy. Alison Fewless MP says it's been a long road to get here. So I think the, the main thing to note that this has been the result of lots of long patient work by many people in the sector in Scotland over many years. This hasn't happened sort of suddenly or overnight. But the big change, I think, came when breastfeeding was put in the programme for government in Scotland a few years ago. So the, the programme for government is kind of the equivalent of the King's Speech for the Scottish Parliament. It's the government business uh, for the year ahead. And there was a recognition in there of the, the importance of breastfeeding. And what followed from that was additional funding, additional status, because the government had said that uh, in their speech. So there's a lot of um, thought given to that, some investment put into that, and that has had a positive effect on breastfeeding rates in Scotland. With breastfeeding rebranded in Scotland as a public health intervention, other policies which could support women to continue breastfeeding for longer were easier to support. So employment law continues to be something that's reserved to Westminster, but we have worked very hard to get businesses to sign up to something called Fair Work Principles. And that's about supporting women in the workplace. Um, We've got things around returnships and uh, things around flexible working. So we've worked very hard to try and embed that amongst employers. 
uh, if we had more control over the um, maternity pay and leave and everything like that, then we would obviously do more in that front. Um, but we've tried to put as much pressure as we can do on Westminster to change that. My colleague Stuart MacDonald from Cumbernauld also brought forward a bill for babies that were, um, you know, babies that were sick in hospital to give more flexibility for parents for that as well. Um, so there was legislation brought forward in Westminster to help support that, which again helps babies in those very early years. But we would love to see that go a lot further. Changing employment law to support women breastfeeding their babies for longer is a vital part of the jigsaw. Hannah Brinsden of the Food Foundation says that the UK has one of the worst maternity policies in the OECD countries. Women are having to stop breastfeeding to return to work. And this is made worse by um, a lack of support from workplaces to support those women to continue to uh, breastfeed. So not able to support them to express, for instance, when they're at work. So this all contributes to women having to stop breastfeeding earlier than they intend to, or potentially even stops them from starting breastfeeding in the first place. She says that there are a number of things that have to be done to break down these barriers to breastfeeding, and it has to be done at a government level. A national breastfeeding strategy would really help put infant feeding at the heart of a number of policies that are being set by government and really help drive forward improvements that help women whether they want to breastfeed or formula feed. We also need to improve uh, maternity provisions such as maternity pay and maternity leave to give women that financial security while they're on maternity leave to be able to feed in whichever way they want, whether that's breastfeeding or formula feeding. We also need to improve the limited data on breastfeeding to support targeted intervention. At the moment, we haven't had a a UK-wide government survey since 2010, which means our insights and knowledge on where uh, interventions are needed is quite poor. We do know that there'll be a new survey coming out in a couple of years, and hopefully this can uh, help improve and reduce some of these barriers for women. We also need to improve funding to help local authorities, health visitors, midwives, to deliver the support to mothers and families that they really need in order to be able to breastfeed in those first few days, weeks, months, um, and to be able to breastfeed for as long as they want. Dana Brackley says it's not an easy ask when there's so little political will. I have a quite an interesting quote here to share with you, which is from government themselves, um, who said it's been very difficult to find somebody who is the minister with consistent responsibility for breastfeeding. And it seems to sort of chop and change, almost even depending on what these ministers might be interested in. And I think that's fascinating because that comes, that quote is directly from someone who works within government. So there's a real reluctance to engage. There is no single policy approach for breastfeeding. So we looked at policies which which include or reference breastfeeding and we had about 20 to 30 where there's lines about breastfeeding within them, but they're not integrated anywhere. They're not integrated. There's no breastfeeding in all policies, which really it should be because it affects inequality, race, formal support, peer support. So it's really that there's a lack of political will for someone to lead on breastfeeding within our government. And that lack of political will passes down to the local authorities. Because there isn't a single policy approach or a safeguarded funded line for breastfeeding, cash-strapped local authorities may find it quite difficult to prioritise and um, put more resource towards breastfeeding because they don't have the funding. So that means we have an inconsistent and patchy approach across local authorities and backing all of that is just really really patchy data so it's very difficult to benchmark what different local authorities are doing across the country because we don't have a 
reliable data set and we don't have adequate monitoring accountability. The Food Foundation is calling for more investment in breastfeeding services at local authority level. That means increasing investment in the training of health visitors and midwives for effective breastfeeding support. It would mean more and better mandatory face-to-face contacts between mothers and health visitors. In 2023, the government announced that thousands of families across England would be offered help and support with issues such as infant feeding, as well as mental health and relationship building, thanks to family hubs being rolled out in some local communities. Dana notes that this means not everyone is getting the benefits. It was referred to by one of the interviewees we spoke to in government as a a pilot and not a policy. And that's a good reflection, really, because... It's only in 75 local authorities, so that it's only in half the local authorities in the country. And many of these local authorities who are starting up these family hub initiatives, which have infant feeding as part of the, um, part of the package, are putting together lots of policies, lots of resource in place to support women with breastfeeding. But the Family Hubs initiative is set to end in March 2025. So what are these local authorities going to do when that resource is pulled or that funding is pulled? It's not a sustainable way of running a service. So whilst it's great that some of it's happened, it really needs to be across the country so we don't have this regional postcode lottery it gets to referred to a lot in terms of breastfeeding support across the country. Meanwhile, according to the Institute of Health Visiting, the number of health visitors has decreased by over a third since 2015. Hannah Brinsden. One of the barriers is a lack of support from the healthcare sector. And what this shows is that women are not able to get the support that they need to breastfeed in those early days, months, um, even years in order to be able to breastfeed. Breastfeeding isn't easy. It doesn't always come naturally. So you need that support in place to help you to do so. Sophie Riley says that she and her fellow midwives are doing their best to get new mums the information that they need about breastfeeding. But it's difficult. Once a woman gives birth, we probably only have about two hours with them and that includes all the paperwork so we tend to not spend too much time doing breastfeeding support just because we are very pressured um into kind of getting people in and out very quickly just because we're very short-staffed as midwives at the moment um so we rely a lot on the health visitors um to kind of help us carry on with that breastfeeding support and carry on trying to help the women breastfeed TJ's first experience has led her to talk to friends and find a support system that may have changed the way that she feels about breastfeeding. A lot of, well, everyone I know who's been a mum, in fact, has breastfed. All except for one. Um, She tried to, but her baby wouldn't latch on at all. So she was formula right from the very beginning. But yeah, everyone I know otherwise is exclusively breastfed. Um, so I guess that's another reason why I felt like a bit of a failure that I couldn't do it. So I was like, why is everyone else managing to do it? And I can't. But now that I know there are sort of uh, breastfeeding networks and support and stuff available out there, if I do go on to have another baby, I will try and reach out and go that way. Dana Brackley says that this kind of peer-to-peer support is essential to help women make the best decisions for their baby's nutrition and their own mental health. I think we need very much supportive of the Food Foundation's call for more political focus on breastfeeding and for there to be dedicated resource, dedicated departments, and for that also to feed through to local authority. I think we have to lead from the top. We have to have that government lead saying this is really important. We're going to invest in it in terms of resource and in terms of funding and to support local authorities to do the same. So 
there was a very p- interesting piece of research done by the Breastfeeding Network who were looking at peer-to-peer support services, which all of the evidence suggests is a really, really robust way of helping women to initiate or continue breastfeeding. And they looked at funding for peer-to-peer support services across the country. In one local authority, it was £1,700 for the year. In another local authority, it was £424,000 a year. So the difference in that is just phenomenal. So if you're one of the women living in the local authority where there's only £1,700 a year for that entire local authority, what do you get? So it really needs to be looked across the whole country to make sure we don't have this postcode lottery and this regional inequality. Um, at the moment, there are a lot, a lot of time run by volunteers, amazing volunteers who are doing amazing work. That work shouldn't be done by volunteers. That should be part of a programme for government. Thanks for listening. As we head towards the next general election, the Food Foundation is calling on all policymakers to recognise the importance of the whole food system in shaping the nation's health and wealth. The Food Foundation has a manifesto for the next government and would love you to take a look. Click on the link in the show notes and have a read. And make sure that you subscribe to this podcast to keep up with the latest analysis on what makes healthy food matter.